Hello there. I hope you're staying safe and taking good care of yourself. Uh, my name is Isaac Rukundo, a PhD candidate in the Food Science and Technology Department at UNL. For today's presentation, I shall talk about protein analysis in the palm of your hand, specifically evaluating the performance of handheld near-infrared NIR spectrometers in feed and forage testing. But first, some background. Being a PhD student, uh, I am naturally working on a dissertation and this is a synopsis of the research framework. Now, to assess the performance of handheld NIR spectrometers, it is important that we have a comparison, which in this case are the standard benchtop NIR spectrometers that have proven accurate and efficient for many applications over the years. So for my research, I have two full range force benchtop NIR instruments, B1 and B2, with a resolution of 0.5 or 2 nanometers, uh, depending on the settings. And then three handheld NIR spectrometers, uh, H1, which is a portable NIR spectrometer uh, that covers the entire NIR range uh, with a resolution of one nanometers. And then two other handheld NIR spectrometers, H2 and H3, with a limited spectral range and a resolution of four nanometers. But these are about 40 times cheaper than B1, B2, or even H1. So to make use of uh, NIR spectral data, we employ multivariate analysis based on several chemometric techniques, such as principal component analysis and regression partialist squares to predict one or multiple constituents uh, and techniques to classify materials and transfer models between instruments. To achieve the objectives of uh, assessing handheld NIR spectrometers, uh, we are using three case studies. One, adulteration of turmeric spice, compositional analysis of switchgrass and composite feed and forage testing. So in the first case study, I quantified methanyl yellow adulteration in turmeric powder using B1 and H1, demonstrated ability to transfer a calibration model from B1 to H1, as well as use H1 to identify the source or processor responsible for adulteration. For the second case study, I'm estimating uh, nitrogen and fiber components of switchgrass as well as in vitro dry matter digestibility using both benchtop and handheld spectrometers. But also in this case, we are in the process of demonstrating model transfer from benchtop to the two handheld NIR spectrometers. Finally, for this case, we are looking at the influence of plastic packaging for scanning samples. Uh, how, how that might affect uh, model performance for the handheld NIR spectrometers. And the third case study, part of which I present today, is on feed and forage analysis, particularly predicting the composition of crude protein in various feedstuffs. So, let's go. Why is accurate feed analysis important? Uh, several reasons. The ever-increasing global demand for livestock products puts constant pressure to increase the amount of safe, nutritious feed for animals. And to do this, animals must have adequate, balanced diets free of contamination. Bear in mind that good quality feed and uh, 
Safeed not only promote income generation for producers, but also contribute to sustainability and environmental protection in local settings, as well as stimulating global trade and economic growth. So, uh, with that in mind, we know that uh, the use of NIR spectroscopy in feed analysis is not new. In fact, it has been applied uh, since the 60s, but we still have some challenges. Uh, one, uh, the instrument cost can be prohibitive, especially for startup laboratories. And then there is need for accurate, reliable chemical data of native feedstuffs for development of calibrations. Uh, it's important to note that for robust calibrations, uh, thousands of samples are required. Now, to achieve precision feeding, it's important that we have constant monitoring of components across manufacturing and supply chains, as well as have a better understanding of nutritional and energy value of feedstuffs based on attributes beyond proximate analysis, uh, for instance, dry matter digestibility. So uh, with that background in mind, uh, for this case study, we have two laboratories. Uh, one is Dr. McDonald's Rumina Nutrition Lab here at UNL, and two is Dr. Jugda's Animal Feed Lab at Mongolia University of Life Sciences. Now both labs support, now both labs support, sorry about that. Now both labs support uh, animal nutrition research and extension activities by providing analytical and advisory support for multiple types of animal forage and feed. And neither uses NIR technology. So what would be their interest in adopting NIR? Well, it increases throughput and ability to provide quick guidance on supplementation of feed. But how good would the handheld NIR spectrometers be for these labs? Let's see. So for the first objective, uh, we intended to estimate crude protein content of various feedstuffs using spectra from H1 and H2 and compare the model performance for both spectrometers with the hypothesis that crude protein can be estimated using both spectrometers for at least screening purposes where the prediction R squared is above 67% and RPD, a measure of model performance, above 5 and H1 expected to perform better than H2. The second objective was again to estimate crude protein, but this time of hay using spectra from H3 and compare the model performance to that for H2 as obtained in the first objective with the hypothesis that again crude protein can be estimated using H3 for at least rough screening purposes where R squared is above 60% and RPD is greater than 3. And also that H2 performs better than H3. So to do this, we obtained dried and milled feed and forage samples uh, with their chemical data uh, from both laboratories. We packed them in individual plastic pouches and scanned using each sample used with H1 and H2 from for the samples from the Rumina Nutrition Laboratory and then with H3 uh, for the samples from Dr. Jugda's laboratory. So after scanning, based on the chemical data of the samples, we segregated them into two data sets. So calibration 
and about 80% of the samples and validation about 20% of the samples. So the spectral data in the calibration set were pre-processed using different techniques aimed at reducing noise and increasing signal strength and hopefully improving resulting models. So with the pre-treated spectra, we use partialist squares regression to build a calibration model for predicting a protein composition based on spectra and the chemical data. So the calibration model was validated using spectra in the validation sets which were not used in the modeling. Uh, how do we evaluate these PLS models? So a good PLS model should have a low number of model factors to avoid overfitting and then it should have high coefficients of determination for calibration and validation, low calibration and validation errors, bias close to zero and uh, the ratio of standard error of performance to standard deviation should be high as well as the range to error ratio during validation. So these models can be utilized for different applications based on the several validation parameters as suggested by Williams and Norris. So what did we get for results? Uh, so these are the spectra from H1 and H2 before and after uh, pre-processing. So this pre-processing is done with a second derivative and this is the raw and processed uh, spectral data. So uh, as expected, there is more information obtained from H1 uh, than from H2, and the second derivative preprocessing enhances the spectra to enable better extraction of information for both H1 and H2. Now, uh, looking at H3 and comparing that to H2, so these are really uh, similar instruments. Uh, they have the same spectral range, but then H3 was used to scan hay samples, which is one type of animal feed, while uh, H2 was used to scan multiple feed samples, hence the observed differences in the spectra. Uh, but then they have the same window. So looking at the model results now, so for both H1 and H2, pre-processed spectra had better um, PLS model parameters than uh, unprocessed or raw uh, spectra. So H1 had better model parameters than H2. So for instance, looking at uh, R squared for validation, we see 96.4% for H1 versus 96.3%, not so much of a difference there. But then looking at the RPD, we see uh, 5.28 for H1 versus 5.21 for H2. So now there are important spectral bands that have been identified for crude protein, and both instruments were able to pick them out. But also we see that they used more peaks and other spectral bands, and this could be attributed to the fact that uh, you don't only have crude protein in the sample, you also have other constituents. And then uh, it's also possible that because these are composite feeds, even when they are milled to the same sample size, you might still have uh, local variations in terms of, uh, of the size of, of the 
samples. Uh, so that could be uh, a reason why we are picking up all the wave bands and the instruments are identifying them as important for modeling. Nonetheless, uh, we, we see that uh, H2 mostly sees the second and third overtone regions and really very little into the first overtone region, whereas H1 is a full range spectrometer that sees the whole NIR spectral range. Now looking at uh, H3, uh, again pre-processing improved uh, the model parameters. And comparing with H2, there was generally better performance. Uh, for instance, R squared for H3 was higher than uh, for H2, and a similar trend can be seen for RPD as well as other uh, parameters. So it, it's important to know that, again, both instruments see the same spectral window, but H3 was used to scan only hay samples, while H2 was used to scan composite feed stuff which increases variability in the data. Uh, nonetheless, both models were useful even for process and control uh, applications. So to conclude, and in line with our objectives, we estimated crude protein content of various feedstuffs using spectra from H1 and H2. So with H1 being a full range NIR spectrometer with a better resolution, one nanometer, and H2 being a limited range NIR spectrometer with a, a resolution of four nanometers, which is considered poorer than that of H1, and then compared the model for performance for both instruments. So crude protein can be estimated using H1 and H2 for any application, rough screening, screening, process control, quality control. With R squared above, R squared for prediction above 90% and RPD above five, we noticed uh, that H1 performed slightly better than H2, but again, both instruments produced models that can be used for any application. Secondly, we estimated crude protein content of hay using spectra from H3 and compared the performance of this model to that of H2. So crude protein can be estimated using H3 for at least rough screening was our hypothesis. It turns out we can actually use that model for any application with R squared being above 98% and RPD above six. Uh, we saw that H3 performed slightly better than H2, but again, H3 was used on hay samples, so that's really uh, limited variation within the samples, and H2 was used for multiple feedstuffs, which is uh, more variation in the data. Nonetheless, for both models, we, we can use them in uh, applications uh, from screening to quality control research process control. Now, back to our two labs. The results provide evidence for the adoption of NIR technology in both labs. So handheld NIR spectrometers provide the extra advantage of being portable. Hence, they can be transported to where the sample is other than transporting the sample to the instrument. So with that, I would like to thank uh, my collaborators, uh, Dr. James McDonald of the Ruminant Nutrition Laboratory here at UNL, 
and Dr. Shineku Jugda uh, at the Uni Mongolia University of Life Sciences for their support with uh, uh, samples and data. And then we'd also love to thank uh, Kevin from Malvan Panalitico for instrument support, as well as Steve and Hannah uh, for their support with data, data collection and chemical data for the samples that we used. Most importantly, I'd love to thank my dissertation committee. So my advisor, Dr. Mary Grace Danao, and my co-advisor, Dr. Weller, and my committee members, Dr. Welling, uh, Dr. Mitchell, and Dr. Eskridge, for their continued support and advice on this journey. And to all of you for watching this presentation, thank you. If you have questions, feel free to email me and we can have a discussion or a conversation about this presentation. Otherwise, stay safe and take very good care of yourself. Until we get back to normal times, uh, be safe, please. Thank you very much. Goodbye.